Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. Hi, everyone. We're David and Tracy Sellers. And we have made vows to keep, and we are so glad to be here with you today. So about seven years ago now, David, we bought our house, and our house sits on about seven acres out in the woods. It's beautiful. Better than we deserve, for sure. So I saw like the aerial picture of our house, so I knew, obviously, like where the property lines were. But when we first got there, do you remember, David, how we wanted to get to the back of the property? So our house kind of sits in the middle, but we couldn't get there. Yeah, it was crazy. We tried to blaze a trail through the bushes, and we like, we just could not get to the back of this property. One of the first things we did when we moved in was to make a trail because we wanted to see all that we had bought. That and I wanted to see just how much fun I could have with my chainsaw. Okay, so now that it's there, we've got this trail, but we have to keep it up. We have to walk on it in order to keep it traversable, right? Well, God has given us all of his promises. He says, here, this is yours. I'm giving you an entrance into eternal life. I've given you life abundant on earth through Jesus. The pathway is cleared, though, by our obedience, by following what God has set out for us. We have all of his promises, but we have to blaze the trail, so to speak, by how we live our life. So today, as we wrap up this six-part series, we've trimmed the fat, we've learned what it is to be a sold-out disciple of Christ, and we're asking God to make our hearts teachable. We've understood what obedience is and why God is asking us to obey his word. Now it's time, Tracy, to take action. If we're willing to let God make big, needed changes in our hearts, our marriages are going to look different. They're going to feel different, too. They will be different. The fat that was slowing us down has been taken off. We've left it behind. We're not going to fake this thing anymore. We're not going to put on a face for our Christian friends or even our kids or a spouse. We're not going to play make-believe that our marriage is doing good when in fact all the fat that's been in our marriage and in our lives has slowed us down, that it's tripped us up. Today we're going to get real and we're going to put our desire for obedience into action. So are you ready to leave a trail of evidence behind you, a trail that blazes its way into all that God has for you. I definitely am. So we began this six-part series with a running analogy, a marathon word picture, keeping our eyes on Jesus. So in this final broadcast of Trim It, Live It, Prove It, we're going to finish talking about the prove it part, beginning by looking at this race route, the mile marker, so to speak, that God has given us to go by. And we're going to look at that today in second Peter chapter one, we're going to see these eight principles from God show our progress. They show evidence of our faith. As we put them into action, they're going to show proof that we are actually running. And then after we do that, we're going to jump into what God's word says about our old sinful nature and how to live as true disciples. We're going to really get specific on the put off, put on teaching that the Bible gives us and how it can dramatically change the way we think and feel about our spouse. It changes our daily interactions with them. It's really exciting stuff. So stick around. The thing about all of this, David, is that as Christians, yes, we are in this race, so to speak, but running, obeying is really an active choice. God tells us we get to be participants. And I think it's super important for all of us to have a reminder every now and then that godliness, that spiritual growth resulting in awesome marriage relationships is not just a foregone conclusion. 
Just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we are currently or will always be participating in what God has given us. Yeah, think about this in high school. The track coach, he doesn't go out to the track and grab all of his athletes by the shirt collar and pull them along. They begin with an invitation to be on the team. Then they show up for practice. They stretch. They challenge their muscles. They get training on how to run well. But when race day comes, they have to get out there and they have to do it. They're not running aimlessly. The coach has given them course markers. There's milestones. So they know where they are and they can see their progress. Now, if he's asked them to run without direction, well, they would, of course, eventually give up because they're not meeting their goals. The milestones give them motivation to keep going, knowing that they're much further on in the course than where they started. Well, in this life, Tracy, our track coach is God himself. He's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, asking us to be on his team. Now, those of us that have responded in faith are saying, yes, Lord. But next comes the knowledge of this new life in Christ. It's the training. It's the stretching. It's the counting ourselves dead to our old sinful nature. And then taking on with desire our part to change ever more increasingly into the image of Christ. So we're showing up for practice. We're getting ready and in the race. Listen to Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. And then in verse 5 continues, Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to your goodness knowledge, and to your knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance. All these things are all those mile markers that we're talking about. Of course, to perseverance, we add godliness. And to godliness, we add mutual affection. And to mutual affection, we add love. I've read this in the past, David, and I've wondered sometimes, okay, so if I've been given enough, God says I've been given everything I need for life and godliness, then why do I have to add to my faith? That's what verse five says. It says, make sure you add to your faith these things. Well, isn't what Jesus did enough to save me from my sins? Absolutely it is. I can look at other places in the Bible and see that I have no righteousness on my own. I can't earn my status with God. It comes solely from Jesus. We are positionally dead to sin. We are alive to Christ. But do you ever feel like old patterns of sin are hard to break? Or maybe for you, new sinful habits have crept in and now they're wreaking havoc on your marriage. You know you're dead to sin, but here you are living in the midst of it every day. Well, 2 Peter 1.5 speaks of effort on our part. It's not a foregone conclusion that we're going to be godly. The NLT version puts it this way, make every effort to respond to God's promises. We can choose to prove it. We can choose to validate, confirm, authenticate our faith by striving towards these mile markers. William McDonald from the Believer's Bible Commentary says this, God does not make us holy against our will or without our involvement. There's got to be a desire. There's got to be some determination and discipline on our part. So true. Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 2. It says, like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation, or as the NIV version says, crave spiritual milk so that by it, you may grow up in your salvation. Well, God has made full provision for us to participate in his divine nature. We've got full rights to all of his promises as we participate in his divine nature. What I'm saying is if we obey his word, it reveals his divine nature is moving in us. As his children and heirs, he's laid out the groundwork for you and I to take on our role serving his kingdom. Many times in counseling, we find 
that couples don't realize that obedience to God's word shows the world that we love him. And love is knowing what someone wants or needs and taking measurable action to ensure that they receive it. Well, let me give you a very practical example. I was talking with a husband not long ago, and he was saying to me, you know, I think I need to back off of drinking so much. It's driving my wife crazy. And what I was able to share with him is that it's not just getting away from the bottle that's going to help your marriage relationship. It's in fact taking a step in the opposite direction. It's not just stopping to walk in that direction, but in fact turning completely. How about in your life? What new habit do you need to let go of? Or what new habits do you need to pick up? Conversely, I think a lot of times we recognize that disobedience certainly does not equal love. And I think that this is where oftentimes we think that if I just stop disobeying, I have done what my spouse needs. Many times though, we actually do recognize that our spouse has a need, but we're not willing to go to the next milestone. We're not willing to reach out to them with kindness or mutual affection as we read from that second Peter verse. We never take action to pour goodness out on them. We don't exercise self-control. Or maybe we've got our heads in the sand. We've gotten so detached from their needs, we're not actively loving them at all. We can't take measurable action to make sure that they get what they need because we're not even paying enough attention to them to recognize what their needs are. So David, let's get real here for a second. Let's ask ourselves and our listeners, so what would it look like for me to reach out in kindness to my spouse this week or maybe even today? Like practically speaking, what would that look like? Is that a phone call? Is that a back massage? Is that saying, hey, babe, I'll do dinner tonight? What is that specifically? And then let's take it another step. So where do I need to exercise self-control to my spouse this week or in my life this week that would look like love to my spouse? Maybe take a minute, let those questions marinate. Do we need to turn off YouTube? Do you need to put down your devices or put down the TV remote or literally just let there be silence in your house and put your arms around your wife? So here's some really specific ways from God's word that we can take measurable action to love our spouses. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter four, verse 22. Since you have heard about Jesus, and yes, we all have, and we've learned the truth that comes from him. We've done that because we've been in God's word. Here's what we do next. We throw off or put off our old sinful nature. We're throwing away our former way of life. It's corrupted by lust and deception, God's word says. And instead we're letting God's spirit renew our thoughts and our attitudes We're putting on our new nature, which is created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So we've got this put off principle and this put on principle. Now there's several places, David, in the Bible where we can find this concept, replacing the old with the new. And Jesus speaks of a man who was demon possessed and the demon is cast out. The man didn't fill his heart and life with good in replacement of that evil. And as a result, It didn't just stay empty there. The demon came back and brought with it seven more demons and they moved right in because they found the place empty and ready for occupation. Change is often what is needed in a home, in a marriage. Those old patterns exist between us as husband and wife, but change can be so hard. So many times seems so out of our grasp, doesn't it? There may be a principle that you're missing if that's where you find yourself. Yes, we need to put off the old, but have you put on the new? Have you replaced what was once your default with what God's word is asking you to do? Or have you left behind your old ways and become stagnant, allowing nothing bad really to come back in, but allowing nothing good to reside there either? 
Jesus warns of the default in this scenario about the seven demons. One of the places that we can find this put off, put on is right after the verses that Tracy read from Ephesians 4. Now I'm going to read the put off list. And as I do, I want you to see if any of these things are residing within the conversations that you have with your wife or with your husband or within your heart or thoughts about your spouse. Let me run through a few examples of this put off list. First of all, put off falsehood. Second, put off sinful anger that controls and lingers. Put off stealing what isn't yours. Also in this Ephesians 4 passage is put off unwholesome talk. So that would be foul and abusive language, language that does not build someone up. Put off grieving the Holy Spirit by the way that we live. Put off all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior, God's word says. So these are the things that show up in our fat list, things that need to be trimmed out so we can run this race. So which one of those stood out to you today? I want you to notice how some of them are inward heart issues like bitterness and others manifest themselves in the way that we talk or live because we allow them first to be in our heart. For example, if we don't take off that bitterness, harsh words are going to follow. If we let anger simmer inside, we'll rage and all types of evil behaviors is what's going to be evident in our life. First John chapter one, verse six says, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but then go on living in spiritual darkness. It doesn't add up, right? We're not practicing the truth. The verse continues, but if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we will have fellowship with each other. Things are going to fit together. So if we continue in the list of things that we just talked about that are the put off things, of course we cannot love our spouse because we're walking in darkness. Even though a lot of times we claim to be walking in the light. But now listen to this. Listen to the put on list. Speak only truth. Resolve anger. Imagine what that would do in your marriage. Give generously. Use words that are helpful and encouraging to build up. Put on being kind to each other. Tender hearted forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. David, there's this lady that I know, I run into her from time to time. And every time I see her, she's annoyed. She is put out. She's impatient and she has absolutely no joy. That's what I see when I look at her. That's what she's leaving in her wake. She is wearing anger and she makes others feel as though they should apologize for being born. Mm. Do you know somebody like that? Oh, uh, you almost have to feel sorry for him, right? Absolutely. Because sometimes we are that someone. We wear our sin. We wear our attitude as though we have a right to it. What this does to our unity is destroy it. And I'm talking unity with our friends, inside our marriage, and with our kids. When we put on us, we don't put on Christ. And that's really what these passages are conveying to us. Not that we have a to-do list that we go check off, but an example in the way that Christ lived. We put off our sin and we put on Christ. Colossians 3 talks about putting off sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Those kinds of things aren't fitting for children of God. But it goes on to say we should put on instead tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. We should make allowance for each other's faults, put on forgiveness, and clothe ourselves with love. We're to let the peace that comes from Christ rule in our hearts. We are to put on thankfulness, teaching one another and doing everything in word or deed in the name of Jesus with thankfulness. These truths need to have a direct correlation to our lives to be effective. 
Let me be more clear. We need to get extremely specific about what this looks like within our homes. What definitive actions will I take to know what David needs? And then what measurable action will I take to ensure that he receives it? I can't ask myself this vague question, what changes will I need to make? That becomes a little bit too broad because I could say, you know what, David, I'm going to work on changing my eating habits so I can be healthy. But if I don't have a strategy for carrying out that goal, it's going to remain elusive to me. When I see the yummy food that's not good for me available, well, I'm going to forget my resolve and I'm just going to hog out. Well, the same is true for my marriage relationship. If I say I'm going to change the way I talk to my husband, it remains sort of in this vague realm and I've got a hard time making it a reality. When an argument is taking place, I don't have a clear plan of how I'm going to carry out that goal. So I default to my old patterns. I default to my sin, what my old man would have done. Now, if I ask God to help me put off angry words or to put on encouraging or thankful words, I'm on the right track. But if I can go one step further, adding to my faith, kindness and mutual affection and brotherly love, that's when I'm going to make progress. For example, The next time I feel anger boil up in me at something my husband said or did, I can take a prescriptive path. Number one, I can put off reacting quickly out of emotion, resulting in rage or harsh words, put off sinful anger that controls and lingers, which in this case looks like seeing past his behavior to the heart behind it. If it's truly a biblically defined sin that he's committed, I'm going to put on tenderhearted mercy not giving him what he deserves, but instead doing what Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, coming alongside him to help him back up by putting on, teaching him God's word by the way that I live or gently loving him even in the midst of what he's doing. I've just put off my old sinful nature, which Ephesians 4, 22 says is corrupted by lust and deception and it yields sin and separation. And I've chosen to put on my new nature that's renewed and empowered by Christ and it yields unity and love, all the things I was after when I married this guy in the first place. And I begin to act and look like Christ. I'm making two choices here, not just one. First, I've put off what isn't my identity anymore. I'm no longer slave to that sin. Then I'm choosing to put on specific choices that leave a trail of evidence behind me of who God is. So here's another way this could go, David. Let's say my agitation level and blood pressure are rising. I'm in a situation that's causing strife and tension. And David, let's just say for a second that I've asked you to be in the car at 930 on a Sunday morning so we can get to church on time. And you jump in the shower at 925. Oh, that never happens. Absolutely. No, (laughs) never. So I know full well that you're not going to be ready on time. So in that moment, I'm going to choose to put off anger and maybe even slandering you to the kids and perhaps bitterness in my heart because this has happened four Sundays in a row or four years in a row or whatever it is. (laughs) And then I can recognize that what you're doing is actually not a biblically defined sin. You're just trying to fit everything you can into a Sunday morning and I can understand that. So it's actually my own heart that needs examining and change in this situation. And just saying that is hard to say, right? I'm gonna put on humility and ask God to reveal to me why this is making me so angry. Is it an unmet expectation on my part? Well, why was I expecting that in the first place? Is there a sin behind my expectations? For example, is my irritation rising because I want people at church to think well of us, and that's actually the root cause of my demand? 
Or is my expectation not a sin, but maybe more of a preference? And I don't really care what people think at church. I'm just trying to get there to worship God. Either way, I'm going to put off speaking unkind words to you. I'm going to put off the temptation to slander you to a friend. But instead, I'm going to put on making allowance for each other's faults. Like it talks about in Colossians 3 and put on patience and kindness, asking you, hey, is there anything I can do to help you as you get ready for your morning? Like maybe get your breakfast ready so you don't have to go hungry at church. And then I've got this choice of not rubbing it in your face and sign as I hand you your breakfast, communicating how annoyed I am at whatever is happening. Well, can you tell how much grace actually happens in our house? Because while this is uh, not something that happens every Sunday, this is a legitimate situation that has happened. <laughs> it's true. And many times. And I can honestly say that as a husband, the fruit that comes from that is so rewarding. It doesn't make me want to continue to abuse what's happening, but it does help me to know just how much God is doing in her life and the love that she has for me in that process. Well, I don't always get it right. And David, I'm sure you have examples as well as I'm sure our listeners do too. It's in these situations that we can add to our faith goodness. We can take that next mile marker and add on self-control, kindness, and love, and see what that looks like in real time with the Holy Spirit's real help in real situations when I'm not really feeling very godly at the moment. So as we conclude here today on Vows to Keep Radio, David, remember when our daughter Hope was born and we had this little picture taken of her. I think she was probably about three months old. Well, about that same time, we got out my family <laughs> album from when I was a baby. I and do. We put the two pictures next to each other. They looked almost exactly alike. It yeah. is amazing. I started referring to Hope as Tracy's mini me from there on out. <laughs> yeah, he still does. And when I was younger, I had shorter hair, a lot shorter than I have now. And people constantly told me I looked exactly like my mom. I thought if I heard that one more time, I might have to strangle somebody. But there's been times where I'm talking to David in the bathroom and out of the corner of my eye, I'll catch a look on my face in the mirror. And at that moment, I look exactly like my sister. Well, normally I don't think we look alike at all. We have very different facial features. You and your spouse are part of the family of God. David and I are God's kids too. You were made in God's image. It stands to reason then that if we carry on some of our family traits, that we would also bear the likeness of our heavenly father. So you now have the job of proving your likeness, bearing the marks that you are his legitimate son or daughter. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. The point here is, is that as we love others, we're bringing glory to God, and we're acting like the people that we are. Chosen, God's children, God's heirs. Everyone wins, us especially, because we are being who are created to be. This also brings blessing to our spouse because they're receiving God's love through us. And of course it benefits God because he's getting the glory that's due to him in the whole process. David, I know that I was not switched to birth in a little podunk hospital in South Dakota because I bear the marks that I am truly my mother's daughter. My face, my voice, even the way I walk or hold my hands in my lap proves I am her legitimate child. And when we actively choose to put off our sinful nature and put on Christ, we are proving our genuineness. We are proving our legitimacy. We are proving that God is who he says he is and that we are his children. 
Live in such a way that you are living proof of a loving God. Prove it even by how you respond to your own sin, that you are your father's child. We hope that you will trim it, that you will live it, that you will prove it. We pray that this series has been helpful to you. If you want to hear these principles again or reference the scripture that we used, go to VowsToKeep.com. Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.